their stories being told. By people who are out of their minds. That's what we've always believed. Edutainment podcast that brings to light ingenious, interesting, and sometimes unbelievable stories from history and mixes in creative storytelling. Every episode, we hope you'll learn at least four facts that you can use around the dinner table or at Thanksgiving to astound your family, friends, or that family member you haven't seen since the incident. The headlines are ear catching that can't be true factoids, while the explanations show you just how real they are. Every week, there will be two little lies thrown in the mix to keep us on our toes and vigilant for the truth. My name is Michael. My name is Buena? I don't know. I, I don't know Did why I, I wrote that that way. <laughs> <laughs> What's the topic this week? <laughs> uh, it's spoopy time. Is it Halloween? Is Halloween the topic? Kind of. We kind of did different things this week. Well, well, the thing is, is one of us want to do Halloween stuff and the other person wanted to do actually spoopy things. So we just mixed them together. There you go. Well, because you can't do spooky things that are true, really. Okay, I guess, whatever. <laughs> It's not so much spoopy, but horror-related, I guess. Arr, arr. Arr, arr. Yeah, so. Yeah, hit me. Hold on. So, the stories that I have do not have to do with Halloween, but instead will hopefully bring a little real-life horror to you, which is what we all truly desire deep down. Yes? Uh, sure. Yes. Number one. 21 people were suffocated to death in syrup on the streets of Boston. <laughs> it's very specific. It's almost like not events like, are very specific. Not like a syrup factory in Boston or like a singular bathroom in Boston. On the streets, just here and there. <laughs> and you'll get suffocation. And you'll get suffocation. It's like, oh my god, there's a tidal wave of syrup. Hurry, walk that way. Second one? You ready? No. Are you done? Yes. Number two. Sedlick Ossuary in the Czech Republic, only remaining Catholic church to still allow display the human skulls. I didn't read that right at all, but it's the same <laughs> sentence. I just missed a lot of words in there. There's something missing from there. It's truth, but uh, what's the third one? And it's truth. <laughs> and number three. Edison's phonograph doll stopped production because it was too scary. It's too spoopy. Edison's what doll? Phonograph doll. I feel like it stopped production because it was useless to put a doll on a phonograph. <laughs> <laughs> but but we need the doll. The pho- but why Ed, is the doll on the phonograph? Ed, we don't need it. No one's gonna want this. Tom. <laughs> Steve's Tom. <laughs> Would you like me to reread anything? Because uh, I don't want to. Yeah. Uh, hit me with Boston. Boston. Good. This is the least fun one out of the stories. Oh, God. <laughs> You're going to bore me and our listeners? I don't mean that way. <laughs> I mean, it's not a good time. No. <laughs> okay. So now this one is a pretty famous one. Um, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar with it, but it does not take away from the fact that it is a real life horror story. The Great Molasses Flood of Boston, also known as the Boston Molassacre. 
I'm not sure who calls it that, but I did see it. <laughs> How have I not heard of the Great Boston Massacre? That's <laughs> with a name like that, that. That should be a household thing. thing that you just say. Like the molassaker. Every time your pie boils over a little bit into the oven, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> those, you know, those homey ways that you would use this. Well, no, it should be like nine eleven, Link Lincoln's murder, and the molassaker. Like that, those should just like be like common knowledge. <laughs> well, it took place on January fifteenth, nineteen nineteen, after a two point three million gallon tank of molasses exploded. And rushed through streets of Boston's North End at a speed of 35 miles per hour. Wow, that's some quick molasses. <laughs> yeah. The molasses, which had been previously heated to ease the transfer of the viscous substance from ships into the United States Industrial Alcohol Company's giant holding tank, is suspected of being poured on top of cooler molasses, causing a temperature fluctuation. Mm. It's always that simple, right? This coupled with an unusually warm winter day in Boston with temperatures hitting about 40 degrees Fahrenheit, or 4 degrees Celsius, nice caused the tank to kaboomy. A wall of dark, sticky mass, anywhere from 15 to 40 feet high, rushed through the area, sweeping away anything in its path, including buildings right off their foundations. Molasses. Remember. <laughs> Now, this may seem less like a nightmare and more like a freak accident, but Michael, what do you think that molasses started to do now that it was in the cool January air? Started to harden. Wow, good job. A quote from the Boston Post read, Molasses waist deep covered the street and swirled and bubbled about the wreckage. Here and there struggled to form. Whether it was an animal or human being was impossible to tell. Only an upheaval, a threshing about in the sticky mass, showed where any life was. Horses died like so many flies on sticky flypaper. The more they struggled, the deeper in the mess they were ensnared. Human beings, men and women, suffered likewise. They are literally just drowning. They can't get out. Mm -hmm. Members from the Boston Police, Red Cross, Army, and Navy all arrived to help, many diving into the sugary horror to pull victims out while others administered first aid to those who were freed. The search and rescue efforts were so difficult, it took personnel four days to dig through the goop before giving up. Reports claim that many of the dead were so glazed over in molasses that they were unrecognizable. Others weren't found until the cleanup commenced, with some bodies found to have been knocked so hard by the force of the molasses they had flown into the harbor and drowned. <laughs> yeah. This is this is like a nightmare. Like you're just you're just chilling on the street and all of a sudden and you're dead in sugar. <laughs> like it's so crazy. The, what was the year? Nineteen nineteen. Oh. Yeah. So when you're looking at the list of people who died, there's like five or six of them uh, who are teamsters, like just guys sitting out there with their horses and stuff, and <laughs> which is why so many horses died too. <laughs> it's awful. The official record puts the fatality count at 21 people, including two children, with over 100 others suffering injuries from the syrupy flood. As for the streets, due to the nature of molasses, the cleanup took weeks, with so much molasses being washed into the harbor that it took months for the brown color to dissipate. And local tales state that you can still smell molasses in the street on hot summer days. Although on Reddit, somebody said, yeah, no, it just still smells like trash here. It just, it just smells like a big city. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it reminds me, on hot summer days, down in the depths of Reno, it smells like a sewer. It smells like a sewer, but that's like any big town. Any I think city. that's what, yeah, on hot summer days, everything just stinks. 
But what really matters is that the United States Industrial Alcohol Company was found responsible and negligent in a class action lawsuit which paid out roughly $7,000 to each victim's family, which is about $111,000 in today's money. The company claimed that anarchists who were angry about their alcohol processing, since this took place the day before the prohibition was signed into law, blew up the tank. Yeah, that's another thing. They said that the reason why they were... One of the possible things that might have happened was they were rushing and doing things um, with negligence because they were trying to get as much molasses. They were distilling the molasses for rum, but also for um, uh, munitions, mm. uh, mm. for industrial uses. Oh, weird. Okay. Yeah, so they were distilling molasses for alcohol use and all, everything, but they were saying that, oh, they were rushing to get in as much as they could into the alcohol people before Prohibition came into play. <laughs> um which may have been a cause, was that they were just trying as fast as they could to get as much molasses in as possible. But the tank had already actually been known to leak. In fact, the leak was so bad, the tank was painted brown to cover it up. In <laughs> fact, the leak was so bad that passersby would collect molasses dripping from the tank to take home. So <laughs> Why fix the cow when the milk is free? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can, I can only imagine like a guy with his hat just like, <laughs> I'm taking this home for a pie. <laughs> I got me a sweet tooth. I haven't ate today. I guess I'll have some more molasses. <laughs> I'll just have some... <laughs> just a drop more molasses for me. <laughs> you know, the Bostonians who sound exactly like that. <laughs> so, there you have it. People literally drowned in sugar just because they dared to go about their simple Bostonian lives. But I guess a running theme, which has come up again on this uh, podcast, is some of the worst nightmares imaginable could have been avoided with OSHA regulations. Boo. <laughs> Nobody wants to be baked uh, alive with tuna cans either. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, Jesus. Uh, Catholic Church in Serbia? Czech Republic. Czech, Czech Republic. You God, you're so close. Or... And... Uh, Edison's phonograph doll. Oh yeah, Edison's weird ass doll. Um, the Edison doll has to be true. He really wanted a doll. <laughs> he really wanted a he, doll. He wanted a doll to just like hang off like the horn part of the phonograph. <laughs> you were, <laughs> you're what you're imagining in your mind for what this is is so adorable. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I know this is that isn't at all what it probably is. You think like but a... <laughs> just just like a doll like hugging like the. The, the trumpet portion or something like <laughs> so silly because <laughs> he would have put an action figure like on the on the on the needle yeah in the 1800s he wouldn't have put an action figure <laughs> on the needle <laughs> yeah like a like a surfing uh uh skip it <laughs> <laughs> yes okay you're right you're right. Um, probably. You're probably right. He wouldn't have done that. Do you want to know about the doll? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Edison's phonograph doll stopped production because it was too scary. And an 1888 copy of the New York Sun, a headline read, Dolls That Really Talk, The Wonderful Toys Which Mr. Edison Is Making For Nice Little Girls. What everyone had expected was the turning point of not only toy manufacturing, but the future of recorded sound. What customers actually received were broken and somewhat disturbing noise boxes made in the likeness of little girls. <laughs> <laughs> Upon successfully inventing the phonograph, congratulations, uh, <laughs> which allowed sounds to be recorded and played back, 
Edison swiftly began finding other ways the new technology could be used. He quickly landed on toys, but according to Smithsonian Magazine, did not see the tinfoil recording service on his phonograph cylinder as a viable commercial option. Boy, just too, too fragile. When Alexander Graham Bell helped develop the wax cylinder for recording sound, the idea of a doll that could talk, something Edison had the idea for since he invented the photograph, would finally be at least feasible. In April of 1890, a talking toy doll that stood 22 inches tall with a large ceramic head, wooden jointed limbs, and weighing 4 pounds was released to the public. On the doll's chest was a series of holes bored into the tin frame which held behind it a wax cylinder, miniature phonograph, which then cranked with a hand crank would produce the sound recorded on the wax cylinder, one of a handful of nursery rhymes for children. So, so it, you was, get... it was like the first uh, voice box doll. Yeah, sure. Yep, a voice box doll. <laughs> There's a snake in my boot. <laughs> it was groundbreaking, but in May of 1890, just a few weeks after production had started, Edison pulled the doll from the market. Why, you may ask? It was too scary. Well, actually, mostly it's because it didn't really work. Because it was too scary. Now, don't worry, this isn't the lie. But the modern-day articles that claim people found the dolls too spoopy don't really reference any accounts like this from actual customers, but instead seem to be from the perspective of the modern-day journalist. Which makes sense, because every human in their right mind should be on their guard around dolls. Dolls are the most <laughs> terrifying things on the planet. Anyway, back to the dolls that were returned to the store almost as fast as they were flying off the shelves. Each wax cylinder was individually recorded by a voice actress, which apparently was the first time voice actresses, like voice actors and actresses were hired, considering they couldn't record voice before he invented the phonograph. Hmm. Which meaning that 18 or so women had to recite nursery rhymes over and over for every single doll. They had to talk <laughs> right into it, every little bit, little phonograph, over and over. But it didn't take long before the purchased dolls were being returned with complaints like, it doesn't say anything. It doesn't say anything anymore, and I can't tell what it is saying. <laughs> Luckily, for you guys, the National Park Service has released some of the recordings from these dolls so we can hear what everyone's complaining about. Are you ready? Ah! <laughs> I mean... <laughs> okay, so this is supposed to be Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep. my version better <laughs> it's way less creepy so that was terrifying but what's that you want to hear another one yes if you say so so this one's gonna be twinkle twinkle little star I feel sorry for your ears. I'm sorry. <laughs> Hopefully we edited that to not be so horrifying. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, it'll be in the show notes. Uh, go ahead and take a listen to those. <laughs> I don't even know what you would use them for, but <laughs> they're maybe horrifying. to scare your enemies or something. Yeah. <laughs> 
So some of the recorders lasted so short a time that within the hour the child started playing with the doll, it would apparently go from somewhat understandable nursery rhyming straight to indecipherable screaming. Yeah, no thanks. And on top of all this, how much do you think Edison thought was a reasonable price for these curly-haired demons? For the low price of thirty nine ninety nine for shipping and handling. <laughs> um, that's three installments of. <laughs> uh, modern day equivalent of I'm gonna go ahead and say one hundred twenty bucks a pop. So, that's not a bad guess. You could get an undressed doll for ten dollars, or a dressed doll for twenty dollars, which doesn't seem bad until you realize that it's eighteen ninety money. Inflation calculators only go back to nineteen thirteen, so in nineteen thirteen money. That would come to $280 for an undressed doll and $560 for a dressed doll. Then just add some more of those figures to account for inflation, you know. Oh my god. (laughs) Yeah, uh, no. $500 for a doll that goes, (laughs) So I guess people weren't excited to swallow the cost for a 22-inch little screaming girl. (laughs) (laughs) I already got one of those at home. (laughs) Well, although uh, there was another um, account that it turns out when you did see people that had these, it wasn't even children. It was, like, rich ladies who would give them as wedding gifts and stuff oh, just to be like, look, I have one. I bought you a photograph. <laughs> it's inside a little girl. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, and apparently um, if little boys got their hands on it, they would they would steal these dolls so they could dig out the, the photograph inside and play with it. <laughs> so you'd see just, like, dolls with their stomachs cut open and stuff. <laughs> In all, 500 were reportedly sold, with 7,500 left in the warehouse. Some say that Edison extracted the many photographs from the unsold dolls and buried them on his company property, selling the bodies as normal dolls. (laughs) But some say, if you listen really closely late at night, you can still hear the cries of a little girl who is angry that her doll doesn't work and wants a pony instead. You can't just keep yelling at our audience. <laughs> I am going to return you oh so fast. Oh my god, these things are creepy. I oh don't, I don't... no, they, and that's the thing, like, if I paid 200 and whatever, $280 for an undressed doll, that thing is creepy without any clothes on. I mean, they're creepy in general, but, oof, yeah. It's a, it's a super spoopy doll. But then again, I've been raised on a lot of horror movies where the doll is definitely the the killer and haunted, and you have to do your haunted doll watches on eBay. (laughs) (laughs) I was just about to go to eBay. (laughs) Want to see if you can get an Edison doll? Yeah, why not? They're in museums. I don't know if people just sell them on eBay, but maybe. I guess I should have done my research. You can get a picture, a 1908 phonograph, record player, girl, dog, baby, doll rocking chair picture for $20. I feel like that's enough room. Basically same, huh? Basically same. No, for just an Edison phonograph, uh you're looking at at least like 150, 300 bucks. Actually, that's a lot cheaper than I thought it would be. Uh the ones on the lower end all say need work or Yeah, they're probably <clears throat> not working. Not working. Hey, that would be kind of fun to collect old phonographs and fix them up or maybe break them even worse (laughs) okay all right are you ready for the no because i swear to god if you made all three of these real uh true i'm gonna be pissed because i was gonna do that (laughs) (laughs) 
no, Michael, I was not going to do that. I thought you'd be happy that this week you finally got it, but no, you're still mad. He's still mad. Well, my thinking was, is, oh, it's spooky that these are all real. Well, it's still going to be spooky. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, give me with your third. Can you just... You just hit me with uh no because there's a uh, there I think I feel like there's a lot of Catholic churches that still show skulls and stuff. Good little Catholic boy you are. Yeah. <laughs> no. What? <laughs> <laughs> the Sedlik Ossuary in the Czech Republic, only remaining Catholic church to still allow display of human skulls. I wrote that sentence so bad, and I still tried to read it again. <laughs> okay, so in. 1278 AD, the abbot of the Cistercian. How do you say it? Cistercian? Cistercian? I would need to see it. And I don't. Cistercian? I, that's how I would pronounce that. Cistercian? 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 Like a cistern? Like a cistern? It's a type of monk, apparently. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's, a, it's a, one of those, like, sex of monks. Sex of monks. Sex of monks. Sex of monks. <laughs> Get on with it! <laughs> I don't mind. In 1278, the abbot of the Cistercian Monastery in Sedlik, in what is now the Czech Republic, was instructed by Odekar II of Bohemia to visit Jerusalem. Upon his return, the abbot brought back what he said was dirt from Golgotha. It's Golgotha, right? Yeah, or Golgotha. Golgotha? Yeah, I don't know. There we go. Depends on you ask. Or the place where Jesus was supposedly crucified. He took the dirt and sprinkled it on the cemetery of the monastery, which was seen as a real nice and good guy thing to do. <laughs> makes it makes it blessed ground, holy ground. Oh, yeah, I think so. It makes it, it really ties the cemetery together, is what it does. <laughs> when word traveled about the cemetery now having some holy dirt on it, it became the cool and in vogue thing to be buried in the Sedlik Abbey Cemetery for all the most God-fearing ex-people of Central Europe. Fast forward to the 1300s and the Black Death. What happened during the Black Death, Michael? Uh, people were afraid to die. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me I'm not wrong. But what happened to them anyways? Well, they got the plague. And then what? Uh, they were buried? No, they were burned. You could just say people died. Oh, yeah. It's the in people... the name. No, they, they burned them alive. <laughs> <laughs> Super scary. I'll nice get story. Better. No, you're not. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is not a Monty Python skit. Um, <laughs> so anyways, people died. And with extreme surplus of people passing on from the plague, along with some wars, the cemetery was simply bursting at the seams, figuratively speaking. To counter this issue, the Church of the All Saints was built to be used as an ossuary or a place to store bodies. Bodies would be buried in the cemetery, new bodies would come in, old bodies would be exhumed, and a half-blind monk supposedly was in charge of stacking the bodies in the ossuary. Bodies come in, bodies come out. Can't explain that. <laughs> Eventually, the ossuary was very full of bones, and in 1870, a woodcarver by the name of Frantisekrent, I don't know, it's European stuff, I'm just gonna go with it, uh, was hired by the Schwarzenberg family, a royal family from the area, to do something nice with all the bones. I think they had like a bunch of land in Bohemia and stuff, so I think they owned the place, which is why they're like hired the guy to go deal with the monastery. Mm. And what resulted was the manufacturing of decorations, furniture, and other objects made completely from the forty <clears throat> to seventy thousand human bones that had been laid to rest in the ossuary. 
The two most eye-catching pieces being the ginormous skull chandelier and the Schwarzenberg coat of arms supposedly made of one of every human bone. Oh, fun. Here, just to show you real quick. That's the chandelier. Oh, that's... That's a lot of bone. Really cool if it wasn't so creepy. <laughs> People are just like, great, so I'm a chandelier forever? Awful taste. Good execution. <laughs> Pyramids of skulls and bones, cherubs blowing trumpets with skulls and bones, everywhere, skulls and bones. No matter where you look in the chapel or the vault, you will be greeted with something that, at one time, used to have flesh on it. Yes, to the squeamish, it is something out of a nightmare, a necromancer's lair, or possibly a vampire movie. And yes, photos will be included in the show notes, because why would you not want to see this? But to the Czech Republic, it is the number one tourist site in the country. Mass is still held, weddings have still been carried out, and visitors have still managed to call it haunted, so no different than any other church. And although it may seem macabre, the Roman Catholic Church has been listed as a World Heritage Site since 1995. However, as unique as the Sedley Chapel is itself, it is not the only Roman Catholic Church to display human bones, and no one is trying to make it that way either. The San Bernardino Alle Ossa in Milan, Italy is an ossuary at the Santo Stefano Maggiore Church and has its walls completely covered in human bones, which were also organized in a very decorative manner. Bartholomew's Church, or the Skull Chapel in Zurna, Poland, is actually one of the most recent churches to decorate with human remains, as it was built in 1776, but not as recent as the 1870 work done on the Sedlik Ossuary. After the chapel became a mass grave for those who died in the Thirty Years' War and the Three Silesian Wars, the priest of Bartholomew's church, Vaclav Tomasek, was inspired by yet another grim display at the Capuchin Cemetery in Rome when he decided to spend 18 years completely covering the chapel with skulls and bones. So, much like the other one, this one is completely... Like, it's very strange how they found these bones so, um... All the bones look like they were manufactured almost. They're all perfect. <laughs> it's creepy as hell. The Capuchin Cemetery, referring to Our Lady of the Conception of the Capuchins in Rome, Italy, has a darker look, with the ossuary skulls surrounding completely intact skeletons and some bones made to look like skeletal priests and cherubs. There are plenty more churches decorated in this manner that I won't be touching on, but if there's anything you take away from this, it's that Roman Catholics are really creepy. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. It's that there are plenty of locations for all you goth kids to tie the knots. And as far as anyone is aware, no one is trying to change that anytime soon. So this one is from the the conception of the Capuchin's ossuary in Italy. Oh, the monks are pretty dope. Yeah. <clears throat> like you can tell, I think... Cherubs are weird. The cherubs are very creepy. This one, they have full skeletons just like laying on the ground with skulls just all over them. Ugh. That's a lot. So what do you think? Would you do you want to go see one of those places yeah, with a bunch kinda, of skulls yeah, cool. and stuff? Yeah. Why not? I would, but I would be really freaked out the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I used to think I was that cool goth kid and now now I'm like You're just not or, metal enough. Or maybe let let the bones be, you know? Maybe maybe just let them be. <laughs> I wish I'd added more pictures here for you, but we can look them up later. There will be a lot more in the show notes. Oh, great. So I'll see them later when I'm doing the show notes. Thanks. You're welcome. Okay, you ready? I'm ready. Hit me with some... Okay, so mine all have to do with... These are supposedly all happened on October 31st at some point in history. Lies. 
Vladimir Putin had Joseph Stalin's body removed from Vladimir Lenin's tomb. A lot of names there. You want me to go over that one real quick? No, because I know what you're talking about. Okay, but good. the thing is, there's a technicality. Benito Mussolini was appointed as the Prime Minister of Italy. <laughs> Lee Harvey Oswald applied for Soviet citizenship. The third one, I'm not sure about. The other two, I know what happened with those on October 31st. But I don't want to... Okay, well, number one, he was moved into his tomb on October from his display. Number two, he had a parade, a fascist parade on October 31st. But I think that might have been to celebrate him becoming a leader, whatever. Dictator. Dictator, that's the word. Dictator. <laughs> um... The one I don't know about is Lee Harvey Oswald. But I do know that Lee Harvey Oswald did apply for Soviet citizenship. I just don't know if it was on October 31st. Also, did you do three lies? No, no. No, I was about to I was about to do all of my headlines be be true. And then I said, oh, that's kind of a cop out and not very fun. So I did make one of them a lie. One of these is not true. Okay, well, let's go with uh, Benito. Okay. Because I'm pretty sure the way that you worded that is correct. Benito Mussolini was appointed as the Prime Minister of Italy. Prime <clears throat> Minister. That's what it was. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, yeah, no, I get I get how, how the whole thing worked. Benito Mussolini was a socialist up until World War One. The Socialist Party of Italy didn't want Italy to enter the Great War, while Mussolini thought that greatness could only come through war. He was thrown out of the party, and when Italy entered the war in 1915, he enlisted. He served with distinction on the front lines until he was injured in 1917 and was forced to leave the army. His experience in World War I shaped him and what he thought the country should be, never shying away from war or conflict. Mussolini went on to found the Italian Fascist Party, a fusion of socialism and nationalism. This was very appealing to a lot of ex-soldiers after the war and started to gain mass appeal. By 1920, the Italian Fascist Party was basically operating a concurrent government in many towns and some cities. Using his newly unemployed ex-soldiers, called Black Shirts, he terrorized and strong-armed any who opposed the party, and gained control in short order. The Italian middle class saw Mussolini and the party as a sense of stability, with an inept government currently working due to the main Christian and liberal party unable to come together. The central government was weak. Mm-hmm. Despite being increasingly popular, in 1921, the Italian Fascist Party only secured 35 seats. Which, Out of uh, a lot. I want to say it was 121 or so. Oh, okay. Uh, and it was, a lot, it was a lot less than the Socialist Party got. Right. Mussolini looked for non-democratic methods to secure power in Italy. Oh, good. Those always work. In October 1922, he and over 30,000 black shirts from all over Italy demanded governmental change. In what became known as the March on Rome, Mussolini marched with his congregation, making speeches that had the message of, Italy is in danger, and only me and my party can save it. There was fear of bloodshed when the fascist party was to reach Rome, but none happened. The black shirts were allowed to congregate in Rome and when they could have been dispersed by the police or Italian army. The black shirts forced the government from power, and October 31st, 1922, King Victor Emmanuel III appointed Benito Mussolini as the Prime Minister of Italy, becoming the youngest Prime Minister in Italy's history. Yep. Good for him. 
I guess. So that happened on October 31st? That's October 31st. Yep. So, uh, full disclosure, I started trying to write about that, and I was like, this is too much history for me. I'm done. <laughs> this is why I skipped doing the whole... All, all three of mine are that, so. I'm glad oh, you well. did that, because I'm much more... No, my problem was... I just didn't want to have to get all of my my names and all the like what you had to do with like who was what the I don't want to deal with that. This was Halloween for me, <laughs> but uh, I'm glad you did it because it is a good story. I mean, people need to know. People act like Italy wasn't even a big deal, but man, Mussolini was so fascist. In my research, a ton of weird stuff has happened on October 31st, mm-hmm. and I don't know if that's by coincidence or by design, but. Jeez, it was weird. Yeah, it's a little strange. Although, I think, I kind of wonder if you just took any old day, like, I don't know. <laughs> March the 4th. 4th. Yeah, like, just anything. If you just looked up things that went on that happened on that day, if it's just a fluke because we look at October 31st as a special day. But, that was fun. Okay, read the first one again. Vladimir Putin had Joseph Stalin's body removed from Vladimir Lenin's tomb. Oh, had Stalin removed from Lenin's tomb is how you said it. Lee Harvey Oswald applied for Soviet citizenship. I just, I just, uh, my problem is I really don't know about Lee Harvey Oswald. I'm going with, uh, just do the tomb. He's going to get me on a technicality here. Vladimir Putin had Joseph Stalin's body removed from Vladimir Lenin's tomb. Vladimir Lenin died on January 21st, 1924. Do you know what happened to his body? Well, yeah, you obviously do. (laughs) Well, I mean, okay, do you know what happened to his body immediately after? They put it on display. Kind of. Uh, He was embalmed and placed in a wooden coffin in Red Square by the Moscow Kremlin by January 27th, so about six days later. Over 100,000 people visited the coffin to pay their respects in the next six weeks. He was eventually moved to the clear sarcophagus that he is known for being in. Right. Joseph Stalin died on March 5th, 1953. Do you know what happened to his body? Also displayed. He was embalmed, and a funeral was held on March 9th that concluded with Stalin being laid to rest next to Lenin in the Red Square Mausoleum. Nikita Khrushchev succeeded Stalin and slowly began a process of, quote, de-Stalinization. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is the technicality it wasn't Putin, it was Khrushchev? Some of the party members denounced Stalin in his personality cult, leading to several changes within the USSR. Stalingrad was renamed to Volgograd in 1961, and later that year, on October 31st, Khrushchev had Stalin's body removed from the mausoleum and buried in the Kremlin Wall Necropolis, the USSR's National Battler Cemetery for those who died in service of the Union. The desalinization process didn't last long, Leonid Brezhnev succeeded Khrushchev in 1964 and began to re-Stalinize the USSR. Brezhnev was the last outspoken Stalin sympathizer, with Gorbachev continuing to de-Stalinize the USSR before the fall. And Boris Yeltsin went so far as also denouncing Lenin. (gasps) As far as Vladimir Putin, well, he comes off as a bit of a Stalin sympathizer, or at least as much as the Russian population will let him. So he dug his corpse back out, put him back on display, because we're re-Stalinizing, baby! He hasn't rehabilitated Stalin's image, but has emphasized the importance of the Soviets' achievements during Stalin's tenure. Okay, so, was this a lie or was it This was a lie. You suck. Putin did not 
wasn't Putin. It wasn't Putin. I hate Screw you ship. so much. Give me Lee. On November 22nd, Lee Harvey Oswald applied for Soviet citizenship. On November 22nd, 1963, Lee Harvey Oswald fatally shot John F. Kennedy at the Dealey Plaza in Dallas, Texas. Two days later, on November 24th, he was shot by Jack Ruby in the Dallas PD basement and died of his wounds. Let's wind the clock back a few years. No, don't do it. Do you know Oswald was in the Marines? Yes. Yep. Like his dad, who died two months before he was born, his uncle, and his older half-brother. He turned 17 on October 24th, 1956, and needed his brother to sign the enlistment paperwork due to his young age. He led an interesting Marine career. He'd gained the weapons proficiency designation marksman in 1956, even though he was just a radio operator. He was also court-martialed three times. The first for discharging an unauthorized 22 caliber handgun, shooting himself in the arm in the process. Oh, come on. He's already been punished enough. <laughs> the next for getting in a fist fight with the sergeant who he, whom he believed was responsible for his punishment in the handgun incident. <laughs> come on. I was already punished enough. <laughs> he was demoted from private first class to just private for this incident. He was also briefly imprisoned for it. The third was for shooting his rifle into the jungle during a nighttime sentry duty while in the Philippines. Stop doing this. During his Marine career, he also started teaching himself Russian. He even took the Marine proficiency exam for Russian, in which he scored poor. Mm -hmm. But that was actually kind of impressive for the self-taught nature of his learning. Finally, he was hardship discharged in order to care for his mother in September 1959. Oh. I'm sure that'll work. He spent a few days with his mother, then got his passport and about $1,500 and left for Europe in October 1959. Thanks, Mom, for an excuse. He arrived in France and then made his way to Helsinki, where he asked for a passport and citizenship to the Soviet Union. He was granted a visa on October 14th and then took a train arriving in Moscow October 16th. His visa was valid for only one week, so he went and talked to government officials about renouncing his American citizenship and gaining Soviet citizenship, claiming he was a communist. Yeah, isn't there something about, like, um, he pretended to, like, know stuff, but he didn't? (laughs) The day his visa was set to expire, he was told his application for citizenship was not granted and he was to leave that day. Distraught, Oswald cut his wrist in the bathtub of his hotel in order to horrify the Russian guide that was to take him to the border. God, what a freaking big baby. While this obviously did not kill him, he was kept in a Moscow hospital for a week for psychiatric observation. On October 28th, the next day he was set to leave the USSR, he met with four more government officials asking if he wished to remain in the USSR. He insisted that he be allowed to live in the USSR as a Soviet national and only gave his Marine discharge papers when asked for U.S. identification. On October 31st, 1959, Lee Harvey Oswald walked into the U.S. Embassy in Moscow to express his desire to renounce his American citizenship. During the interview, Oswald told the U.S. officer that he had been a radio operator in the Marines and that he was going to divulge secrets that he had learned using his U.S. secret clearance to the Soviet officials when he was made a citizen. Oh my god, he's... <laughs> Honestly, I guess it's like if you if this is what you really want, that's a not a bad play. But they're gonna find out, bro. <laughs> Overall, this led to Oswald's honorable hardship discharge to undesirable. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Oswald wanted to go to Moscow State University, but was instead sent to Belarus to work as a lathe operator at the Gurizont Electronics Factory. And I think this is where we're going to leave the story. Uh, without getting into all the conspiracy theories and stuff, uh, Oswald led a weirdly interesting life, and renouncing his American citizenship 
citizenship and asking for Soviet citizenship on October 31st is just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> well, that was fun. Yeah. No, uh, like, li- literally, there are so many interesting things I know. about mm-hmm. him. Like, I don't, I don't know. I... He'll he's he'll probably be put into a, another Cold War episode or something because it's just it's it's too juicy, <laughs> and I didn't I didn't want to make this story like a half hour long. Yeah, he's a he's a character. He's a character in me. Uh, do you have anything else? I want to play a game. Oh, I like games. <laughs> oh, fun! I've no, you've never given me a game before. For our listeners who are born on Halloween, you know who you are. Let's see if Michael can guess which celebrities share your birthday. Oh, Jesus. I'm going to list some celebrities, and you picked which one had the spoopy birthday. It's that easy. It's, it's just, you're going to give me, like, what, like, three at a time, and I'm supposed to pick the one or something yeah, like we'll that? Yeah, we'll do four, and then you pick which one you think is born on Halloween. It's not a big deal. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, the first one, big director on campus, Steven Spielberg, funny guy and Adam Sandler supporter Rob Schneider. Enron Crony and Fall Boy Andrew Fastow, or the less cool little rapper Lil Wayne. Spielberg. You go with Spielberg. So ah, says it's Adam Sandler's ride or die, Rob Schneider. Wow. Um, however, Andrew Fastow was indicted on October thirty first, two thousand one, on seventy eight counts, including fraud, money laundering, and a conspiracy in connection with the Enron scandal. Good job for Andrew. (laughs) Yay, happy Halloween for him. (laughs) Every year. (laughs) Okay, round two. Is it NHL All-Star MVP John Scott? (laughs) Amazing and original rapper Vanilla Ice? Psychopathic murderer Ted Bundy? Or Paul the Octopus, who predicted the 2010 World Cup winner? Let's go with Paul the Octopus. You're going with Paul the Octopus? Unfortunately, it's just vanilla ice. <laughs> but a side note, Lil Wayne, Lil Wayne, my bad, was born the day after John Scott on September 27, 1982. Aww. Oh, fun. Paul the Octopus, however, actually died on October 26, 2010, days away from Halloween, and only three months after he became world famous. Poor Octopus. <laughs> Last round, beloved big guy John Candy... Beloved big guy John Goodman, or beloved big guy John Belushi, or not so beloved, not so big guy John Wilkes Booth. Uh, John John Wilkes Booth. It's John Candy. <laughs> <laughs> and the final side note: Don't forget to watch Planes, Trains, and Automobiles this coming month. It's the like the only good movie Thanksgiving has. We're not not a movie podcast. Not a movie podcast. <laughs> Okay, is is that all you had? <laughs> yeah, just a cute little fun thing. <laughs> okay. Hey, there's a lot of little pumpkin babies out there. I guess. <laughs> so this is the end of season two of Life Patrol. We'll be back soon with a new 10-ish episode season. In the meantime, you should check out Radioactive Belt for Your Nuclear Waste if you want to learn about nuclear cheese bombs. Good idea if you want to learn about the patent that Borat holds. Or drive another day if you want to learn about all the colors you could order your DeLorean in. <laughs> that is true. All we do is teach you things here, huh? That's the only thing we do. Nothing else. Well, I know I don't want my DeLorean in silver. <laughs> Are we on this? <laughs> we I were think... on such a good roll for like three weeks. <laughs> we really were. We were doing so well. And then, you know, today happened. 
Um, I think what we say is happy Halloween. We will see you soon. Not super soon, but soon. And uh, thanks for listening. Have a good one. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) For show ideas, inaccuracies, or general comments, you can email us at thelivepatrol at gmail.com. Intro and outro music provided by The Simulation Hypothesis by Revolution Void. Found on the Free Music Archive, CCBY license. Thanks for listening. It was worse. <laughs> that hurt. <laughs>